Well, tonight we will continue to see what Solomon shares with us in the book of Ecclesiastes about how to live a meaningful life, living a meaningful life from the wisest man who ever lived. And he continues in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 to unfold for us some of that wisdom and how we apply it to our hearts and lives. So if you haven't already, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We began this chapter last week. We're going to finish out the chapter tonight from verses 15 to 29. We're going to look at this idea of the realities of life. Do you remember when you became more cognizant of life's realities? And maybe tonight I'm going to help some of you younger ones that are here tonight understand some of the realities of life. You're going to walk away tonight with your mind just blown about something you never realized before, okay? So maybe some of the realities of life you've come to realize, or you came to realize, hopefully some of you in this room that are older, you've come to realize some of these things, that dinner doesn't just magically show up on your table. Did you know that? Okay. Uh, You know, someone had to put time and effort in love, into planning, buying, preparing the meal. And can we just, those of you in this room who have a, a major part of your house of preparing dinner, can we just agree that the hardest thing is picking what you're going to have for dinner? You know, is that, does that, anybody else struggle with that? You know, sometimes it's like, well, what are we going to have? Because if it was up to me, I'd just have tacos about five times a week, you know. But, you know, you have to, you have to think through that. Another reality, you know, electricity doesn't just flow freely from the light switch. There's a bill that comes due at the end of every month, which, by the way, kids, is why your dad always says, turn the lights off, right? How many of you dads, you know, that's been like your life's mission. You just go through the house turning out lights. Anybody? (laughs) Yeah, okay. You threaten to put um, occupancy switches on all of your lights so they'll turn off by themselves, right? Uh, You know, uh, that, and, and just in general, right, that, the day and night, you know, parents work tirelessly to provide and care for their children. I mean, sometimes we need to, we, we come to this point in our lives where we come to realize, hey, this is what life is really like. And those are just some, you know, some silly examples maybe of things, but, but realistic that as we grow up, we come to understand those things. But there are perhaps some... Um, you know, while those might be perhaps difficult for young children to grasp, depending on their ages, uh, they're rather elementary to late adolescent or adult. But there are greater realities in life that we experience that seem to keep us baffled. You know, there, there are realities that, that, quite frankly, as Solomon talks about the realities of life, and he talks about finding meaning in life, there are certain realities that we experience in life that threaten to strip away the meaning of our lives. When we see the problem of evil, we wrestled with that earlier in Ecclesiastes, we begin to wonder, like, okay, what's the reality of that? When we see some of the things that he talks about here in, at the end of chapter 7, like, okay, that, that's a reality, I understand that, but what does that mean? And these realities threaten to move in on our joy and our peace with the Lord, and they cause us at many times to wonder, you know, why are we experiencing the things we're experiencing? Solomon wrestled with many of life's hard realities, and he shared these, these findings with us throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Remember, he is Koheleth. He is the teacher, the preacher, the one who has, who has gone through life and experienced all of these things. And now we're in the classroom 
learning from him. And tonight we look at some of the great realities of life regarding righteousness, evil, wisdom, and folly. And these realities call for us to trust the Lord and obey him. And and we understand then that a proper relationship with God is necessary in order to faithfully serve him in a fallen world. If we are going to serve God faithfully, now notice the word is not perfectly, right? But faithfully, consistently, seeking to make the right decisions by the grace of God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're going to do that faithfully, we have to have this relationship with God that is proper, that is right, that is maintained, that is, um, that is vibrant. Because the things that Solomon shows us here, these are hard truths. These are things that we, we, we scratch our heads at. You know, and I'm not just talking about, we're talking about the first half of the book, yes, where, where Solomon shows us the vanity of life, right? The, the temporariness of it and the hevel. But even tonight as he wrestles with what happens with righteousness and evil and wisdom and folly. And so in verses 15 through 18, Solomon shows us righteousness and evil's ends. And he makes an observation in verse 15 that really is just a reality check. This is what it is, right? He says in verse 15, In my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Solomon says, that he has lived through life observing many things. He says, this is what I've seen. And notice again, he uses this word that he's used all throughout the book. What does he call his life at the beginning of verse 15? In my what? Vain life. Meaningless. Hevel. And again here, the idea isn't necessarily uh, meaningless as much as he's keying in on the hevel, the, the, the it's here and then it's gone, right? It's, it's, it kind of slips through your finger. It's disappearing. It's fleeting. One of the things we come to realize the further around the road of life we go is that life is briefer than we imagine. And it has a lot, there are a lot of problems in our lives under the sun. And Solomon has enumerated these problems in Ecclesiastes thus far. And part of these things that he has realized is the realities observed here. He, realize, he observes, first of all, what? A righteous man who dies in his righteousness. And the idea behind this wording is in spite of. So a righteous person dies in spite of his righteousness. And also the idea here is uh, that this man dies before it seems like his time would be up. The general doctrine of Solomon's time, you think about the, the religious teachings of the nation of Israel and what people believed about God, is that God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. Again, if you read the book of Job, you see that theology early on come through. That his friends say, look, you're experiencing all of these things. It is obviously because you've what? Because you've sinned. God is obviously judging you. And we know from the book of Job, what we read, that Job was a what? He was a righteous man, right? Who feared God, right? And so we see that it doesn't line up here. Solomon says, I have seen a righteous man who, who dies in, in his or in spite of his righteousness. And that is one of the things that we oftentimes think about and wonder after as well in the realities of this life. Because we understand that God always judges sin. But he does not mean, that doesn't mean that he always does what we think he will do in the time we think he will do it. 
Here is a righteous man who seems to be doing what is right and pleasing to the Lord, and his life is seemingly taken away from him. He seems to get no reward from the Lord for his actions. And on the other hand, Solomon presents us this this second baffling reality. There is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. So here is a man whose life is prolonged, though he continues to do what is wrong. And once again, the idea is, in spite of his evil doing, his life is prolonged. What do we expect? Well, we expect the wicked will pay for what he has done wrong, and we expect that ultimately he would have his life taken from him if he does not respond to the Lord. Yet, this is not what we always observe. When you read this passage, uh, one author pointed out, and and, and when 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 I saw what he had said about this, It was something that was a very fascinating picture and a very great illustration from the scripture. After Solomon was king, there was the divided kingdom. And in the northern kingdom of Israel, which which never had a single godly king, there was a king, his name was Ahab. And he was married to a woman named Jezebel. There's a reason you never meet anybody named Jezebel. okay? Because this woman was awful, right? And she was an evil queen. She was an evil person. She lived in her evil. She, she continued to propagate evil in the nation of Israel. And you come across this incident that happens in the life of King Ahab when he desires the vineyard of a man named, remember? Naboth, right? Naboth's vineyard. And Jezebel devises a plan in order to secure the vineyard of Naboth. And what we learn about Naboth is he was a righteous man. He did what was right. He even was confronted with an opportunity to do wrong in this account. And he doesn't do what is wrong. He does what is right. And he dies at the hand of Jezebel. Jezebel continues to live on, being allowed then to carry out her evil plans and ways before she finally meets her just end. And we read that story, right? We read that and we think, well, goodness, didn't God care about Naboth, right? Because here Naboth is, he's trying to do the right thing, he's doing what is, uh, what is righteous, and he dies. It's a great illustration of what Solomon talks about here, right? Though it would come after this was written, right, after Solomon, it's a great illustration of that point. We look around in our world today, and what do we see? We see the wicked who are prospering. We see countless individuals who are promoting sinful ideas and ideals, yet they seem like they will never suffer loss, and we know, we know godly people in our own lives who never seem to catch a break, suffering one hardship after another. And the brokenness of this world is a reality that we find very hard to rectify in our minds. So therefore, we must embrace the greatest reality that we are not in control of these things and that God is sovereign. This is what where Solomon is driving us to once again. And so in verses 16 through 18, he says, look, here's how you embrace the reality. He says, be not overly righteous. Do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. So having observed the realities of life, Solomon makes the observations that we find here in these verses. And perhaps you've read these verses before and you've been a little like, okay, what is Solomon saying here? Maybe you read them just now and you're like, wait a minute, what is the guy, what is he telling us to do here? 
Because is he saying that since life doesn't matter, you should go and live life however you want, right? He says, don't be overly righteous, right? Well, what does that mean, you know? I mean, should we give ourselves to hedonism and say, okay, God, I'm just going to live how I want, and you can sort it all out when, we're, when it's all said and done? Well, surely not, right? A guy who's, who's, who's driving towards the point of fear God and keep his commandments, surely he's not telling us to just live it up and let God pick up the pieces. Surely he's not telling us to dabble in a little righteousness and a little bit of sin, you know, as long as we feel like it's going to make us happy in this life. No, what Solomon is telling us to do is he's calling on us to realize that while we must live for the Lord, we are not sovereign over all outcomes of our lives. There is nothing in our lives that we can do that will make God treat us one way or another. Sometimes we like to think that. We think, well, if I choose all of these righteous actions, I do all of these good little things and follow the little checklist, then I'm going to make God do this for me, right? You say, well, I would never do that. Okay. Have you ever had a time in your life when you were praying for something and you thought, well, I better do the right thing so God will answer my prayer the way I want it to? You ever thought that before? Right? Maybe even subconsciously? We've all been there, I think, right? Okay, you know, I make sure I read my Bible and I did this, right, because I'm praying for God to do And we have to understand that there's nothing that that we can do that's going to make God do something. He's sovereign. He's in control of these things. And then by his grace, he does or doesn't do these things. Now, ultimately, does God promise blessing to those who obey him and judgment on those who don't? Yes, that's his promise. But this does not always mean that the blessing and the judgment fall immediately or even that we experience them to the same fullness of blessing or judgment in this life. The blessing of Israel's covenant that Solomon is writing under here is different than the blessings that we are promised today in Jesus Christ. Remember this, okay? In the covenant, in the Old Testament, God said that that if you obey these things, right, here's what's going to happen, right? Those of you who are with us on Wednesday nights looking at the book of Exodus, I mean, God's very specific. We just looked at Exodus chapter 22 where God said, if you will follow me in the land, this is what I'm going to do for you. In fact, Jesus promises us something quite different. You know what Jesus said? He said that the world will hate you, right? Just as it hated me. This is how you should expect to be treated in the world that we live. And yet we recognize and understand that God still blesses obedience and faithfulness, but he blesses it in his time and in his ways. And if you give yourself to righteous living, thinking that it's going to gain you some special standing with God or automatically result in some sort of lifestyle, you will be destroyed by the hardships of life that come into your life. That's why Solomon says in verse 16, do not, make your, uh, do not be overly righteous, do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Because what he's fighting against and what he's fighting back against here is an idea of self-righteousness in our lives. And here I am, doing what I think, you know, is going to gain me favor with God, and now I'm experiencing hardship in life, and, I mean, what, what, was the, what was the point? But then Solomon says on the other side, neither should you give yourself to overt wickedness because there's no guarantee of what will happen, right? Solomon goes uh, the opposite way, warning us that God's patience in judging sin may not always be what we think it will be. Because here's, here's the problem, right? Here's the, the reality, he sees a righteous man who dies in spite of his righteousness, right? At a time that, that we would say, well, that really died. He, no, that came before 
again, think of Naboth, right, as the illustration. He sees a wicked person who, who goes about their wicked life and, God, and they prolong their life, right, even though they're doing wrong. So the temptation is, well, I don't want to live like that. I want to live wicked because then I can do what I want to do and I'll just keep living on. And Solomon says, hey, hey, hey. Just like the self, you know, if you give yourself to self-righteousness thinking God's going to owe you something, don't give yourself to, to evil thinking, well, I can just do whatever I want and get away with it. Because you don't know when God's hand of judgment will fall. One may observe that the wicked doesn't always experience God's immediate judgment and deduce he can live however, however he pleases. But this is not a general rule in life, but again rests in God's sovereign hand. One may, in fact, live a very evil life, and thus, because of that evilness, destroy himself. And really, the other side of it is this. If you believe that the wicked will always prosper, and the righteous will always suffer, you have a very short view of life. Because God promises that the long-term view is quite different. God promises that eternity is not like that. You say, well, I mean, the righteous, I mean, they just always seem to get the short of the stick, and the evil, they always seem to do what's right. Yeah, that might be true in the sinful world that we live in right now. But when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, guess what? The evil are going to suffer eternal punishment, and the righteous, those who trust in him and follow him, are going to receive eternal blessing and glory. Don't Take the shortcut, right? Don't take the short view of life. Solomon says, this is a truth that we need to understand. He says in verse 18, this is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. This is the life of fearing God. Solomon says, the one who fears God shall come out from both of them, he shall come away from both of these extremes of living in self-righteousness or living in evil and instead will live in the fear of the Lord. This is the way you escape both sides of this conundrum. The one who lives his life in the fear of the Lord, keeping his commandments and resting in his sovereignty is the one who will escape the hardship of these misapplied realities to life. So we are called to be obedient and act on the things that are in our control. There are things in your life that you can control, and that mainly is how you respond to God and, and how you're going to follow him. My mom used to always say, okay, and this is not Bible, but it's pretty close because my mom said it. <laughs> Just take the next right step. You follow what God says to do today. You just keep following and following and following. That's, you can control that, right? How you respond, right? How you, if you, how you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit and then you leave to God the things you can't control, which is pretty much everything else, right? In his sovereignty. It is a life of balance, of obeying the Lord and resting in him, of not pursuing self-righteous actions, thinking we will gain some sort of credit with, that, that God owes us now. At the same time, we're not taking license to do what we want in life. Because we do not know what the future will be. We do not know what lies in store for the wicked who seems to get away with things. We don't know what God has in store for their lives. See, here's the thing. We, we're tempted to look at people who are, are just so 
you know, sinful and wicked. Why are they getting away with that? You do not know what God knows. And God may know that that person, later on in life, he's going to turn to Christ. And so God withholds his judgment so that that person may experience the grace of God in their lives. I, I said this a few weeks ago. Can you imagine if God's judgment came in, and I would just pick a year, you know, 1955, God judged all sin. How many of us will be sitting in this room? It might be a few, right? Because you came to Christ before them. The rest of us? Some of us weren't even around yet, okay? But we don't know when that day is going to be. And we don't know what lies in the future of that person. So we continue to trust God and follow him and, and lean on him and depend on him. And these people who later on in their lives come to Christ after living a life of sin and wickedness, they look back on their lives and they wonder at the grace of God in the staying of his hand of judgment. But we cannot count on that. Listen, sometimes... I've seen it. Sometimes you have too. People walk away from the faith that they have been ingrained in their entire lives because they think, well, you know what? I've looked at this world and I just want to go live it up for a while. And often there's a mindset, you know, you know after I've experienced some things in life, I'm going to come back to God. But there's a problem with that mentality because you do not realize you are not in control of that. You don't know how much time you have left. You don't know the end of the path you're going down. You don't know the consequences that you're going to have to live with because of the choices you're making. I have never met someone whom God saved out of a lifetime of sin who said, you know what, I would recommend that everyone go live it up for a while and then come back to God. Because those people, they live with the consequences of their sin still and the choices they made. I think about the Apostle Paul. Right? He says, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are before. Right, Looking forward to the things that are before, I press toward the mark. Do you think the Apostle Paul had some things in his life that, that Satan used in his life to tempt him? Absolutely. To get him down? I mean, you read what the Apostle Paul was like before the Lord saved him. By the grace of God, he, was a, he became a new creation. But he had some things he had to overcome in his life through the help of the Holy Spirit. So the righteous realization is this. Live in the fear of the Lord, resting in him. Because even the wisdom that we have in this life, Solomon says it has limits. In verse 19, he says, okay, here's the strength of wisdom. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. So Solomon, previously in this chapter, we looked last week, has made a case for living wisely. And he makes it here once again. Now, I would remind you that wisdom is applied knowledge. It's taking what we know and using it, right? To give you an illustration, it's one thing to know that God is good. I think if I said tonight, how many of you would say amen that God is good? The whole room would say, you know, amen, that's great. It's one thing to know that. It's another thing in the middle of a trial to live that and say, I know God is good and I believe that and I'm going to continue to hold to that. True wisdom comes from the Lord as he applies the knowledge of himself to our hearts. And that wisdom, Solomon says, brings great protection into our lives. 
Solomon says that being wise brings more protection than any military might ever can. Here's what he says. Here's a city that has 10 rulers. So as 10 of these guys with all their vast military knowledge, perhaps 10 of these guys with their armies and their protection. And Solomon says that that protection of those 10 guys in a city is inferior, does not match up to one who has what? Wisdom. Wisdom offers more protection. The fear of the Lord informs true wisdom, and the, the one who fears the Lord has no need to fear anyone else, Solomon says. Godly wisdom helps us make choices then that please the Lord. And godly wisdom can quite literally protect you so you make wise choices and save your life. It also guards you in times of little or no understanding because we highlighted a few minutes ago, life doesn't always make sense. And God's wisdom allows us to rest in him and see there's a greater perspective to this and it's his. So wisdom is necessary because of the realities of life that we face. And so Solomon enumerates this a little more now in verses 20 through 22. He says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So Solomon here presents three verses saying, look, here is why wisdom is necessary. There is not one in this life who is entirely righteous. The scriptures make it clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We perform unrighteous actions in our lives. We are touched by other people. We are affected by their unrighteous actions towards us or against us as well. Things people say about us, Solomon says here, hurt us or the actions they take against us hurt us. We are rocked in our lives by other people's sins, and we take to heart the things that are said about us. Solomon reminds us at the same time, then, we are also sinful and we hurt other people. And so what does he say here? He says you need wisdom to see the entire picture. You need wisdom to realize you need the Lord in your life. True righteousness is not going to be found in another human being. We need God's wisdom to understand that reality and respond rightly to that reality because we just want to respond how how our sinful flesh wants us to, to lash out and, and get back at people and Solomon says we need the wisdom of God true righteousness is never going to be found in myself or anyone else therefore I need God's wisdom to live for him and respond rightly when I sin but Solomon says even in that wisdom we're not always going to understand it and we're going to find the limits of our humanity. I don't have it up on the screen, but number three in verses 23 through 24 is wisdom's limits. He says, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, experimented with that wisdom. He sought to take the gift that the Lord had given him and use it to its fullest extent. And we observe from Scripture, from the things we're told about Solomon and things we read that he wrote, that he did have great wisdom. He did understand a lot of things. He had an ability to understand so 
many things that, that others have not. He experienced the supernatural inspiration of Scripture by the Holy Spirit. Would you agree that Solomon, he's, I mean, he's, he's a pretty wise dude. He knows a lot of things. So then does it shock you to get to these verses and realize that there are things that Solomon couldn't understand? Like here's a guy, he, he, he was so wise. He applied that and built up his kingdom. He wrote scripture inspired by the Lord. And yet he says, hey, I, I applied these things, right? But it was, in the end of verse 23, it was far from me. He's not even saying like, I was almost there. He's saying what? I didn't even come close to understanding. And this is an amazing perspective. And once again, the teacher, right, the preacher, Koheleth, he compels us. His words compel us to listen closely. That if he couldn't understand all of these things with with his great wisdom, who can? These things are far off, Solomon says, and very, very deep. And so the rhetorical question in verse 24 reminds us, he says, who can find it out? The obvious answer is, well, no human being can figure these things out. The mind of God and the ways of God are far and away greater than the mind and ways of man. He is infinite and we are finite. Wisdom then is necessary for a godly life, but wisdom has itself its own limitations. Pursuing godly wisdom cannot bring us every answer we seek. There are some things that will always be beyond our comprehension and our ability. These are the realities of the fallen world in which we live. And so we get to the end of this chapter and we come to these fallen world realities. And the first thing Solomon says is, he says, here's the search results that I have found. Verses 25 through 28. I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. So Solomon goes on a mission. He says, I'm going to seek out wisdom, which must be grounded in God and his righteousness. And I'm going to to seek out folly, which the wicked epitomize, right? Wisdom belongs to the righteous, those who follow the Lord. Folly belongs to the unrighteous, the wicked. And he says, I want to understand wisdom and its benefits. And I want to understand foolishness and its pitfalls. He doesn't tell us here how he went about the test, but he tells us these are the results. And the first thing he says is that he found something that was more bitter than death. And what is it that he found? The woman whose heart is snares and nets. He finds a woman, the woman who ensnares all those who come to her. Now, it's very likely that Solomon is using a picture here that he also uses in, the, in, in Proverbs of Lady Folly. She is often epitomized there as, as, a, as a woman who ensnares those who come to her. Now, it is also possible that Solomon could quite literally be talking about all the women he had in his life whom, 
who ensnared him. One of the things you come to realize about Solomon is that like dear old dad David, Solomon had a problem with women, right? That's why you read in the scripture, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, right? I mean, that, you read this, and you read how, they, how he gave himself to these women, and he, they turned his heart away, right? He gave his heart to these women to worship their gods and to build uh, places for them to worship their gods. And so he could quite literally be thinking about, yeah, I've... You know, I've, I've been trapped. I've been ensnared by these things as he's given himself to this. And what we understand is that either way here, people believe they will find pleasure for their soul in the shamefulness of sin. They believe they can kick back and enjoy life just living for themselves. Solomon says this is not the case. Instead, you will find yourself trapped. The sinner may not realize it, but he is ensnared and entrapped in his sin. And because of the sinful state in which we are born, we may struggle to recognize that this is not freedom to do what we want. This is enslavement to sin. It is slavery to Satan, to his system, and to our flesh. And the only way to escape that is through Jesus Christ. Is through God. The only way out of folly is to submit to the Lord and his ways, to trust in him and follow him alone. And so Solomon says that is the only one. At the end of verse 26, he who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Second, Solomon says that while he was looking around, he also found no righteousness in the earth. He, made, he looked far and wide, but he found no one worthy of being called righteous. He added one thing on top of another, searching wherever and however he could. And he shows us that not only finding one is not only rare, but it is impossible. There is no one to be found who is righteous and pleasing to the Lord. What does he tell us here? He says that he found no women who are pleasing to the Lord and righteous and one man in a thousand. Now, before you throw rocks, okay? I don't think here what Solomon is saying is women are hopeless and one out of a thousand men are, are good men. I think what he's saying here is he's painting a picture yet again. There it is. I think he's painting a picture here again that you can look far and wide and you're not going to find somebody. And by the way, even if he was saying that women are better than men, it's by one-tenth of one percent, which isn't really that great, okay? So Solomon is saying, hey, you look around, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find someone righteous. They just don't exist. This is the nature of man. And so he leads him to the final summation of this chapter in verse 29, the final summation of man. He says, see, this alone I found. Okay, here it is. Here's the big reveal, okay? That God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Solomon says he has found that God is not the author of sin. That that at this point, man may try to lay blame for sin at God's feet. Solomon says, I'm not going to hear anything about it. Here are the open facts. God created man upright, and man sought out many schemes. Notice what he says here. Okay, I don't want us to get into any, we're not going to get into any uh, false things in understanding about man. 
When God created man, how does Solomon say in verse 29 he created him? Okay, so did God create man predisposed to sin? No. Did God create man neutral? No. How did he create him? What does Solomon say? Upright, to do what is right. He was created in the image of God, right? That has a lot more to do with the spiritual than it does with the physical. We've talked about that before. And so God created man perfect and holy and and able to have fellowship with God, right? You read that in the creation account. And man chose to do what? To sin, to go his own way in Genesis chapter 3 and do his own thing. And so Solomon says, this is why you cannot find true righteousness and wisdom in mankind because this is a summation of man, who man is. He can try to be righteous on his own, but it's not going to happen. He can try to be wise in and of himself, but to no avail. You can search the whole world over, but you will not find one who is still perfect and untouched by sin. That's God's territory. And it brings us back to the realities of the world we live in. We live in a broken and fallen world. We are surrounded by broken and fallen people, of which we are as well. God is the only one who can offer us the help we need. He is the source of all true wisdom. He is the hope that we have. So let us live on in the realities of life looking to him. So therefore, it brings us back to what we said at the beginning. A proper relationship with God is necessary in order to faithfully serve him in a fallen world. We live in a broken, sinful world as broken, sinful people. We love our sin. We love, our flesh loves to live foolishly, and we will give ourselves to sin if we are left to ourselves. These are the realities of the world we live in. These are the realities of our own hearts. It's really easy for us to say, yeah, look at that thing. We're that way too, right? If it wasn't for the grace of God, that's who we are. Solomon shows us once again the need for living in the wisdom and righteousness of God. We cannot do it on our own, but we need him. We need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ to wash away our sins and place us in the kingdom of God. We need the gospel to dispel the darkness and bring us into his glorious light. We need the gospel as we continue to live for the kingdom, growing and changing in the things of God. And as you navigate life, as you are a Christian and you navigate life, you need to realize the constant need that you have for the Lord in your own life. You need his wisdom and strength. You need his power and his fulfillment. You need his presence so that you may live a meaningful life. And if you haven't been here already, you will find that the darkness of this life will tempt you to despair. It'll tempt you to give in. So you know what? This isn't worth it. I've lived this and done that, and God hasn't given me anything. And if that's the way we're going to live in our own self-righteousness, that's the way we're going to feel. The sinfulness of our flesh will threaten to overwhelm us, but we can live wisely and righteously, experiencing meaning in the Lord as we live devoted to him and him alone, resting in him as we fear him. Father, thank you for the day you've given us and the opportunity to be in the house of God, to worship with you, uh, to worship you with other believers today. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon 
that helps us see the realities of life through a godly perspective. Lord, we admit that we don't always understand that which we experience in this life. We don't always understand why you do what you do or why you don't do what things that you don't do. And we don't understand why you allow or bring things into our lives, certain things. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to rest and trust in you. To not give ourselves to our flesh and our sin, but to give ourselves to the fear of the Lord and keeping his commandments, walking in a way that pleases him through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Help us to realize as we walk with you day by day, we'll find meaning and we'll find encouragement for the days ahead, even when they're hard, and we'll find joy in serving Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would help that, to help those realities to be that which we experience and long for in our lives each and every day. We pray that you would go before us this week and help us to trust you in the moments that are hard and the days ahead, and thank you in the times of joy that we have before us this week. In your name we pray.